Hey everybody, welcome to Sequelitis. It's Matt and his sister this time. This is AC. a very special episode of Sequelitis with yeah. Matt and Angie Abbott. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No crazy Manny today, nah. so we're going to keep it chill. I miss Manny, I wish he was here. Part of yeah. me. Not all of me. Yeah, he's not here. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so uh, there was some news that just came out that affected you very strongly. And you contacted me about this. What yeah, happened? I contacted you because uh, several people text me and took to Twitter to let me know that Sarah Jessica Parker informed the world that there would officially not be a Sex in the City 3 sequel. Mm, that yeah. hurts. That hurts real bad. And, you know, me and Matt have been kicking around the idea of doing a Sex in the City sequelitis for the first two movies for a while. And so I contacted him and I was like, you know what, there's never going to be a better time than right now. Because apparently this is it. It's over. <laughs> so yeah. we, we should talk about it if we're going to. And it seems like they, maybe they need some new ideas. You know, maybe they're going to, maybe they'll listen to the fans and what they think. We have happen. some new ideas for them. So on this episode, you're going to hear some new Sex and the City stories that have not been told yet. Some fan fiction. Yeah, a little bit of fan fiction. A little bit of fan fiction. Uh, so first of all, let's talk about the original series a little bit. Uh, obviously, you need to know what happened in the original series to understand the movies. Um, but this was one of the big series that sort of created a pathway for a very popular TV show to even have its, a movie. That, mm-hmm. that, that's not super common. Mm-hmm. You it's know. not common. Um, to have a big screen movie and not like a reunion television special 10 years later. But to get a, an actual movie in the theaters only two years after going off the air, it's pretty yeah. good. Uh, like I can think of uh, South Park has one movie and that's a TV show. Simpsons has one. Those are kind of different animals. But of all the TV shows that have been out, like, is there a movie for 24? No. There's no movie for Sopranos. Nope. Uh, you know, so it's, it's a little bit hard to pull off. And the show had been off the air for how many years when the movie came out? Oof. Maybe three years. Three years? Yeah. Yeah. And so the, the background story that you probably already know, but just to catch people up, is that Sarah Jessica Parker was either initially an executive producer or she became an executive producer. She became one. And once she became one, she started writing her own rules about how much she should get paid. And one of the very important pieces of the whole movie puzzle is her paycheck. Yeah. That's what we always hear. And, you know, I always try to compare Sex and the City to Friends, which was another one of my favorite shows. I mean, not anywhere as favorite as Sex and the City, but, you know, the Friends team kind of... uh, they, went, they came together and they bargained for an equal paycheck for all of them. And that's how they were able to do so many seasons, even though they have not done a movie. Though I don't know who wants to see a movie, really. But <laughs> <laughs> if they did, I would see it. I'm just saying. But uh, I'll be there for I'll you. I'll be there for you. One ticket, please. <laughs> um, <laughs> one ticket. But with Sex and the City, it's always been a lopsided paycheck situation where Sarah Jessica Parker has gotten the lion's share and the other girls get kind of what's left over uh some girls take that in stride and some of the girls did not which was kim cattrall the the character the actress that played samantha right and so this the way the story goes essentially is that the other two girls were kind of like happy to take whatever they could take but kim cattrall was there fighting for her equal payment of 
what Sarah Jessica Parker was making or an equal fraction or a more equal fraction. And so what, what we can basically assume is that with a third movie, they're either not paying her enough. Or maybe she's not happy with the writing because the writing on the second movie, for her character especially, was pretty disappointing. So there's something going on uh, behind the scenes that is preventing Kim Cattrall from agreeing to do the third movie that's apparently already written and signed off on by every other party, including the studios. Um, but she's withholding her participation, and so it's officially, they're going ahead and saying it's not happening. Right, and something similar kind of happened with Bill Murray for the Ghostbuster movies. It was like everybody Ooh, wanted to do it. I didn't think you were going to bring that up. <laughs> yeah, so sometimes, you know, one of the stars, and that movie is kind of like he's the biggest star, and the other ones are sort of not nearly as big. But with Kim Cattrall, it could be a number of things. But we just watched the second movie, and we're both on Kim's side as far as the writing goes and what they've done with her character. Yeah, they really did disappoint with that. And if she's trying to protect her character, which I know she's always passionately defended, I can kind of understand why she would be reticent. If the, if the third script is anything like the second script, I wouldn't want to do it either if I was her. Uh, she pro- she may not be saying anything regarding that because she's want- she doesn't want to throw somebody in particular under the bus, Michael Patrick King, who's probably the writer, who was the writer on the last movie, who I love, but you did not do her right this last movie. So... Right, we were just watching maybe it. Maybe she's being political about it. And-, and the way her character comes off in the second movie is she just kind of sits there and lets everyone else talk. And then, and then does dick jokes. Yeah, whenever there's a dick joke that needs to be told... Or talk about somebody's vagina. Or she literally had a scene where she's in her office where everyone, uh, God and everyone can see her. And she has her panties down and she's rubbing like Vaseline on herself. And she's talking about how desperately she wants to stay young. Mm -hmm. And basically saying that if she loses touch with her sexuality and her youth and her youthfulness, then she'll lose touch with who she is and she, she won't be herself. And, and and they never even resolved... I didn't see the very end, but it seemed like they never even resolved that that whole plot thread. It's like she just feels like the older you get, the worse you are. The the further you are from sex, the worse you are. Mm-hmm. And it, it was just a one... Yeah, she does not go... She's not going gracefully. She's fighting, kicking, and screaming. Yeah. And it's to the detriment of the character when that character has always played her alternative choices with dignity. So I felt like she lost a lot of her dignity in this season, or this, uh, I call it a season, but the, yeah. this movie, yeah. Yeah, so one of our goals with uh, our rewrite here, we're going to try to rewrite number yeah. two. Sequelitis style, we want to repitch the second movie. We feel like the first one was good enough. Yeah, it was okay. It was good. I, I saw the show, and for me, I liked Aiden more than Mr. Big. I was Team Big. You know, that's where I come from. Yeah. You know, what I, and I was telling Angie about this, but I liked Aiden because he actually worked for a living. You know, he made furniture. He was creative. All I ever saw Mr. Big doing was, like, making phone calls and, like, wearing a suit. It's like, I just, I don't see him working. That's an occupational bias. Right. Uh, that's what I have. But that's fine. Um, yeah. I, I do want to say, though, that... If you're comparing Sex and the City 1 and Sex and the City 2, there are a lot of problems with Sex and the City 1 that people just kind of, like, ignore. You know, like, the whole idea that Carrie gets left at the altar by Mr. Big, and then he changes his mind and he comes back, 
And she could have completely, in that moment, accepted his apology, know who he is, know that he struggles with commitment, know that he struggles with all these things, and said, you know what, I forgive you, let's go in there and let's fucking get married, and everything would have been fine. And the reason that she didn't do that, to me, is beyond my understanding of either one of those characters. And it was so dramatic, and it was so unnecessary, and it was so event-driven. When the show was not like that, the show was not event-driven. It's episodic, it's about the highs and lows of these minutiae that you're exploring. And I actually felt like the second movie, and I know this is controversial, but a lot of aspects of the second movie are better than the first, especially the first act where they really dive into Carrie's uh, having a hard time figuring out how to be married, figuring out how to stay in one place with somebody and not constantly needing to feed her ego with the, the glamour of that New York City nightlife that she's always associated with her own identity. So, you know, that to me was extremely appealing, extremely relatable. Um, and then they kind of just torpedoed that awesome work when they took them to Abu Dhabi and just turned it into something honestly unforgivable. Right. And the trip to Abu Dhabi in the second movie was so much like the trip to Mexico in the first movie. Mm-hmm. It seemed in like. format, yeah. Yeah. It just seemed like you're copying it from here, you're pacing it over there. And I don't you know. You felt like it was rushed. Yeah, I for me personally, I felt like it was rushed. It was a rushed script. Like, you know, if you really thought about it, maybe you wouldn't have done that. I don't know. That's pure speculation, but this is all speculation. This is sequelitis. Yeah, and, you know, I'm kind of reminded of Star Trek. That's a show that they made some movies after the TV show. And I'm reminded about how the writers would write certain things, and then the characters, the actors that had played these characters for so many years, like the guy who played Spock, the guy who played Kirk... At a certain point, they would just kind of put their foot down and say, you know, Spock wouldn't say that, you know, which might sound really annoying to some people, but it's like to the fans, it's really nice that someone is there standing up for that character because when Mm -hmm. you sit there and you Mm -hmm. see somebody like Samantha saying something, they just feel like, oh, why does she have to say that? Not that she wouldn't say it, but it's like, why is that the only thing that she's talking about? Why is she constantly talking about sex? And then Charlotte, the whole time she spent the whole movie trying to call home to see if... Her uh, hideous husband, uh, I like Harold, Harry. Or what's I his like name? Harry, but Harry yeah. was Harry. cheating with the hot <laughs> nanny, and it was—it was just—it was like that's your only character thing. It's like, oh, where's Charlotte? Oh, she's trying to make a phone call. You know, oh, what's Charlotte doing? She's making a phone call. She's right. asking if you have service. She's trying to find a phone. Like that's all yeah. she did. And obviously, like the worst of the worst, and I think this isn't shocking to anybody is when the girls all are in Abu Dhabi and they go to the the nighttime discotheque and they karaoke. I don't know even what the song. It was a Marlo Thomas song. It's like I am I woman, am woman hear me roar. something like this. And this is I. I was in my early like late teens, early twenties when I discovered Sex and City, which I feel like most of the audience honestly was. Uh, and then you know now that I'm in now that I am the age that the girls were when they first started the series, but now they're like can you know like kind of past their prime. They're like in, pushing fifty. Uh, I don't know that song. I don't know that reference. There are a million anthems for women that you could have chosen that are a little bit more relevant to your audience than picking that super old obscure song. It was it was frankly embarrassing. Like it was cringeworthy. And that was the moment where it was just like, what have they done to this thing that I love? Right. You know, 
and I feel like the actresses, I hope they were cringing while they were doing it. <laughs> if they were like thinking people, they would have been. But maybe because they are the age they are, that song means something to them. But think about your audience, y'all. That was real bad. Yeah, it was just a bad call. And it was a scene that so easily could have been lifted once you tested it. And it, it just didn't happen for whatever reason. So a couple of our goals here. One is to do the character of Samantha more justice. Cause yeah. I feel like Kim Cattrall, the way that she played that character, even though the character is kind of flat on the page, in my opinion, I feel like she, as an actress, and with a lot of the choices that she made, she elevated you know, a sex-craven character into somebody who's really likable, who has an interesting career. I feel like she probably had more input on her character's interesting career. And I feel like the other two characters, Charlotte and Miranda, they never push their luck they never push the writers to say hey why don't you make me have an interesting career why don't you make me have something interesting that's going on and well, their and character I, suffered for and it and also i feel like what samantha's great strength was in terms of her likability uh against the other two girls charlotte and miranda is that samantha is not a judger you know she was never trying to judge anybody's choices the way the other girls would the other girls would look down on carrie for certain things they would question her they would call her out and the audience doesn't like that even though i think it's needed and i i don't begrudge any of them for that but one of the things that we always loved about samantha like when carrie first confesses to her that she cheated on aiden with big and she's like don't you want to judge me just a little bit and samantha's response is no that's not my style and that is what the audience loves about samantha is that she doesn't play by the rules and she's happy She's still happy. So, you know, we want to try to give her some of that dignity back in, the, in our rewrite. Yeah, we want to do that. And then we also want to service the other two characters. And then with Carrie Bradshaw, mm. we, we want to kind of take her back to the basics a little bit. It seems to me like they really lost touch with the basics on both the movies for her. Angie may disagree with me on that one. But I feel like they lost touch with the basics. The basics is that... Carrie Bradshaw is going on dates, she's having sex with random men, and she's writing an article about it. She's writing about the sex that she's having in the city, and that's, the, that's essentially the basics of what the show is. Her dating and her writing about it. And what we want to do... She's looking for love. Right, she's looking she's for looking love. She's looking for love, she's not finding it a lot of the time, but she's learning. Mm-hmm. You know, and then, you know... So so yeah, let's. Do you want to start start with our our repitch? Yeah. So let's let's start the. Pitch. Oh wait wait wait. No yeah you're right. Let's let's start it. All right. So for the second movie, Carrie Bradshaw is contacted by her editor is saying, look, you haven't written a good piece in this and this many years. We're not interested in signing you up for another novel. We're not interested. Your your books aren't making money anymore. But here's one gig that we would give you. If you ghostwrite for this new hot young male, male blogger, author. yeah, who's about your age, who writes about sex, who we want to publish his second novel, but it's not quite there yet, and he needs some help, we want to hire you to ghostwrite for him. And this is an opportunity for Molly Shannon and Amy Sedaris, the two characters that play her book publishers, to to make a comeback because those are fan favorites. Everybody wants to see those two actresses 
come back. So they get to have a fun scene with Carrie where it's sort of like, you know, you're having a career low right now, which they do give her in the second movie anyway because her book gets panned. But this version is saying it's, you know, sort of before that. It's like we're, we're not really ready to give you a third book because the second book was really disappointing in sales, but we want to give you a ghostwriting opportunity. And, of course, she has to accept. She has to go through that, which is relatable to the audience you have career ups and downs even when you think you've made it now you have to prove yourself again yeah and maybe we could borrow what we like from the second movie and maybe she could move out of the house with big i definitely think i definitely think we should play with the idea that he isn't giving her the sparkle that in addition to the drama she's having with her work life she's also having this little tension with big at home where it's too much takeout and it's and it's the, I, I like the whole beginning, like keep the whole beginning, the Stanford Anthony wedding, that, I'm all for that. I'm all for the, the black and white movie, him buying the TV or her getting pissed off. That all stays. But instead of the whole Abu Dhabi thing, let's give her a job to do that has to do with writing. Let's get, let her ghost write. And let's introduce, instead of going back to Aiden, instead of going back into that old dried up well, and of course I say that because I'm, a, I'm team big, but we just, we already did that so many times. Like, right. there has to be other people in the world. And as a fan of Aiden, I can say that the movie did not do him any justice. No. It was not nice to see him in that context. No. You know, this is a classic mistake that that movies and TV series make where they keep bringing back the same old actors, the same old characters because the fans liked them. The fans liked them, yes, they liked them back then. Mm-hmm. And that's over with now. You yeah. know, you got to you got to let but, that But I do understand rest. that that you want that moment where he turns around in a crowd and she sees him for the first time and not only hers, but the audience stomach flips. And how do you do that with a new person? Okay. This is my big thing that I've been excited about. I I started thinking, and I haven't told Matt about this, but I started thinking about casting. Obviously we want to cast somebody that could pique her romantic attention, not, you know, to, to a point that it might threaten her relationship with big because we need to keep that push and pull with her and big in place in order to keep it hot and that's what they have going for them so we need somebody that's going to resonate with the audience on a historical level but somebody that we haven't seen on the show before somebody who is older who is still sexy but not overly handsome but super funny and that man has got to be robert downey jr wow nice right mic drop wow and now Matt was the one who first pointed me to the, what was that uh, shock jock that you love, Howard Stern's yeah. Robert Downey Jr. interview from a couple of years ago, where he asks him about, so Sarah Jessica Parker and Robert Downey Jr. dated in the 90s for over seven years, oh, like yeah. living together, right? And during Robert Downey Jr.'s hardest, like drugged out, like, is he going to die? Where is he? Is he alive? Kind of times. And, you know, it was super hard for both of them. And they, they've talked about it openly. Like, it's, that's rough, you know? And even to this day, uh, according to the Robert, uh, to the Howard Stern interview with Robert Downey Jr., Howard Stern asked him, are you going to see her while you're here in New York? And he says, I'd like to. I'm going to call Matthew Broderick and make sure it's okay with him. So, you know, if, if these ca- actors were actually doing this in real life, I don't know if they could do it because it might be too close to home. But since we're just completely putting it out there in, in nothingness, I think it's a fun idea. Yeah, that if, that he, t- if he turned around, the audience would die. <laughs> <laughs>
That's such a big get, though. I mean, when you're worried about budget concerns. Oh, boo. You know. Dude, this is sequelitis. <laughs> we don't have to worry about budget concerns. We're writing the best possible version of the movie. Yeah. And I, I thought you were going to say Matthew Broderick turns around. Fuck was, that. <laughs> Matthew, you know, this is the thing. This is the thing, and this is no offense to Sarah Jessica Barker, who will never listen to this, is that she ended up with Aiden. I feel like Robert Downey Jr. is Sarah Jessica Parker's Mr. Big. Mm. He was just too fucked up for her to be able to work with it at that time. And, you know, Mr. Big got it together for Carrie, but Robert Downey Jr. never could. But I'm just saying, mm. Matthew Broderick versus Robert Downey Jr., you do the math, right? Come Am I right? No, no. <laughs> no! I don't know. I'm not going to comment. You're a nice guy's finish first type of guy. No. That's I'm okay. Not, I'm not going to comment kind of guy. Uh, but I hear what you're saying, and I like him for that part. I like him for that part. If they could, if they could get over it and like, 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 let's sit down and just do it, I think th- that it would be incredible for but the I, audience. I, I mean, that would work because Robert Downey Jr. can do anything; and he could pull that off. Uh, but just to go back to, this is my first time hearing it, so I'm just reacting to it. But my <laughs> my initial thought was someone much younger, obviously. Why? Much, much younger. Why? Like 22, 23, 24, 25. Why, 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 why? That's unrealistic. Because he is out here having these... We didn't really explain about this guy. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So so this character, this author that she's trying to help ghostwrite a second novel, we're basing him off of... A Tucker Max. Yeah, a Tucker Max type of persona. Yeah, and he was a blogger who wrote these super dirty sex stories, real-life sex stories... And as I understand it, he initially like emailed them around to anyone who would sort of listen. Then he put them on a website. Then he compiled them into a book. And I hope they serve beer in hell. Yes, the book is I hope they serve beer in hell. They also made a terrible movie. Uh, and I listened to a podcast that he was doing uh, a few months or a year or so ago. And it's, he's kind of interesting. Uh, he's a super interesting guy. But it's kind of interesting because he's kind of taking the turn. Now that his character would have to take in the movie, obviously, which is where he starts to settle down with somebody, and now he's like a one-woman guy, but he's like in his forties. But um, but see, you know, and I feel like we just we take that same character, we just we just age him up a little bit. Yeah. So he's had this wild ride. He's a he's a an, he's a confirmed bachelor. He's in his like early fifties, right? Mm-hmm. And he still looks great. He's still getting pussy thrown at him left and right. So, you know, why slow down? Why change? And, you know, the reason why they're contracting Carrie Bradshaw to help him with the second book is because his audience has aged a little bit since his first book came out and was a huge success 10 years ago. And they are married with children now. So they need their their hero, this Tucker Max-like persona, to sort of come with them. This is just a publicity marketing idea that makes sense, you know, but it's not really jiving with who this guy still is. This guy is, it has an arrested development in terms of his emotional maturity, which is an age-old scheme in romantic comedies, but I feel like we could do it thoughtfully and with somebody as charming as Robert Downey Jr. You know, it would be easy. Right, so we can have some great scenes where they go to meet up and have dinner, and he's telling her these, like, wild sex stories that, like, just happened. Like, he just went on this crazy date or just went on this lunch date and had sex with a girl. And then, while well, at the same time, he's balancing that about stories that he's actually writing about. And he's like, you know, did you read this one about sex and this one about sex? And he's talking about sex. And, you know, just we put the sex back in Sex in the City. 
you know, yeah. and we can even cut to some That's cuts. a great way to put it. We can cut to some cut scenes where he's like having sex and some really hilarious situations and she's visualizing it. But her job is to try to like almost act as a therapist with him. They have continuous meetings in different, you know, New York City milieu. These are scene ideas where she's trying to pull out of his, you know, kind of narcissistic, ego-serving sex world what he's really feeling, what he really needs, and trying to 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 bring the drama up in that because he feels like people only want to read about his crazy sex escapades and she's trying to show him that she made a career off people reading you know her emotional turns you know when she first realized she was in love when she first realized this guy wasn't going to work and she was too old for this you know those were the moments she was able to bring that drama out of the everyday and she's trying to teach him how to do that because he he's He's more action-packed. He thinks, like, you know, you just have to hit it and quit it, and that's how people are interested. So there's this push and pull with them. And while that's going on, there's a flirtation that's building. There's an attraction that's undeniable. And she keeps going home to Mr. Big, and he's bringing home takeout, and he's watching, you know, like, cable news. And it's it's disappointing for her. She That's not what she had signed up for. So she starts emotionally cheating on Mr. Big with... This guy, and he's, he's not stupid. He's got to be aware of it. He's got to be nervous about it. She's got to have conversations in the coffee shop with the girls about it where they're kind of taking her to task and she's denying it. You know, so we can play all those angles with this storyline, keep building it up. And, and then meanwhile, this, this character, this Robert Downey Jr. character, he's got another woman sort of in the back burner that, that has been a consistent booty call for him for years and, you know, that's the character that Carrie Bradshaw keeps bringing up to right. him and saying, what about her? You know, why do you keep talking about this one? Why do you keep bringing her up? Yeah. And she's trying to make that woman the hero of his novel. And he's fighting it because, yeah, he, he is trying to hit it with Carrie Bradshaw. He's a Lothario. He can't help it, you know. But he also knows that that's not what's best for her or for him. Right. And then at the same time, we take some of our side characters and we spin them in there as well. And we take Samantha, who is now starting to age, and instead of taking her and making her a character who's so afraid of aging and is so anti-aging, we let her embrace her aging a little bit more in a way that's just not so obvious. Like, if she didn't just didn't talk about how she's so much older constantly and didn't talk about how many pills she's taking... I mean, the, I think the worst joke that I saw in Sex and the City 2 is when she had a big handful of all these estrogen pills, and then one of the other girls said, how are you going to swallow all those pills? And she's like, honey, have you ever met me? And then she swallows all these pills, like, you know, oh, I can swallow a lot of dick, I can swallow a lot of pills, was basically it. Yeah, and I mean, to me, it's, it's you're erasing the years of progress that she's been trying to make by saying, you know, I am who I am, and that's okay. And when she was at her, the height of her sexual peak... You know, that that was who she was. But once she curves that, you know, she's on a different part of her life cycle now. Why is she still scrambling to swim upriver to capture that previous part of herself? Why can't the Samantha that we know and love be happy wherever she is? She should be happy wherever she is in life. She should be standing up for the whatever is natural for her. And if what's natural for her is a lowered sex drive... And maybe she's fighting for political rights. Maybe she's getting more involved in activism. You know, who knows? Like, she doesn't have to continue. I mean, it's demeaning 
her previous strides, I think. And maybe she's just trying to define like what the fashion should look like for a lady that looks like that. Maybe she's just trying to do something as simple as saying, like, look, this is what uh, a hot old lady looks like. You know, kind of like a, a Jamie Lee Curtis in Freaky Friday. Yeah, or if you think about, uh, you know, those women that are profiled and, like, a, there was a documentary on Netflix recently. I can't remember the name of it, but it documented a lot of older women in New York who dressed super flamboyantly and chicly and beautifully, you know, and it was something like, like fashion never ages or something like that. And, you know, what if she took on a role like that where she's just kind of New York royalty in the way that she presents herself and she's never going to stop. She's timelessly amazing and chic. You know, she can do that. She can start putting together a book. That could be part of what her character is doing for that second and third act. And then being a confidant to Carrie Bradshaw, who is going through this like tough time where she is resiliently not judging Carrie. Because that's her role. She's not a judger. Right. And then we take the Miranda character. We either bring Steve back in or we cut Steve out, depending on what's sort of right for her. But uh, I was talking with... Uh, Angie earlier about taking that character and making giving her a, a passion for some sort of some some kind of legal cause that she can have because she's a lawyer something that she can kind of go towards and fight for I don't exactly have the cause nailed down but that's something that character never has is like passion for an actual cause she, she only seems to have like passion for money yeah, she's not like she's she's she has a legal mind and she's passionate in terms of not being boxed in by her gender, but you never see her using her legal mind for really for activism. The end of the second movie, she does get a job working for a nonprofit where she feels like she's doing good, and it's like a little nice moment, but it's super vague. Um, maybe yeah. you could actually let Miranda and Samantha find something that they could share. Maybe they're both working on something yeah, they that could start dovetails. a business together. Yeah, maybe. or they could start a nonprofit that, you know, works together in terms of, like, you know, making some kind of pro progress for women. Instead of going down to Abu Dhabi and highlighting the injustices that are going down there in terms of human rights, they could talk about, like, Boko Haram or, like, the, the women that are being kidnapped in Nigeria by the hundreds and disappearing into the woods, you know, who knows? You know, they could work for Amnesty International. Uh, I, I mean, if you want to take it that route, you could take it that route. and You don't have to to hinge it on their sexuality. You know, you can let them be sexual, but, uh, you know, if that's not where they're at in their life, let them, that, they don't have to be that in that place. Let Carrie do that. You know, Carrie's still doing that. Yeah, and, you know, let's introduce this new character, this, like, Tucker Max type of character, someone new for us to follow and kind of dig into, and let's see him sort of rising and falling with his love life, with his book situation, with his relationships, follow that and, and see how, how, let Carrie see him through sort of a dark mirror and say, like, oh, this used to be me, you know, to a certain degree, and she can use that to bounce off of and learn lessons about how to be married better. Yes, know? yes. And, and I feel like uh, the Tucker Max, Robert Downey Jr. character, the, that big climactic moment 
that gets everybody excited is where she, for some reason, she has some kind of a, a turn or an epiphany where she, she decides to go back. That moment where you go back to that place that you're not supposed to go, ready to make a mistake. And, you know, she's face to face with that door of his apartment. She's ready to say yes. You know, she's had some kind of fallout with Mr. Big. She, she doesn't know what she's doing. She's out of her mind. And she encounters him with that woman, the woman that he has repeatedly kept going back to as a booty call, you know, in his memoirs, who she's always been encouraging him to explore further, that she might have more to offer him than, than he's realizing. And she finds him in her arms, and it's devastating for her. At one time, it's devastating for her, but for him, it's kind of where he's always, he's, he has, he's supposed to have been there all along, and he's finally realizing that thanks to her advice, right? So she goes away from that moment devastated, feeling guilty. That devastation has revealed to her her own emotional um, infidelity with Big. She confesses to her girlfriends. They have their chat about it. You know, they all weigh in with their little you know, ringtones, and then she goes back to Big, and she finds so much more satisfaction in those small moments, in those watching the black and white movies, or the cable TV, TV or, ha you know, having that takeout dinner that he picked up, that he was thoughtful enough to pick up, that he knows she likes extra garlic, you know, and the joy of putting on sweatpants, you know, you're still in New York, you still have the view, you know, but you're in sweatpants and you're watching Netflix and yeah. it's amazing. You know, we could talk about Netflix and chill. I think that would be really, really great for her and Big to embrace Netflix and chill yeah. and the awesomeness that comes with it. Yeah, that'd be very topical. And also two things about uh, the Tucker Max type character. Uh, one is that a big aspect of his stories is about him being like super duper duper drunk. And so it's like <laughs> at, at the end of every night, he's just got to be so trashed. And, you know, you can bring that into Woo! play as far as the plot goes. You know, he's calling Carrie Bradshaw, trying to get a ride home. Or, you know, he's, he's doing inappropriate things. And she's got to go bail him out. She's kind of like watching over him. Or she's out with him while he's out, like, getting so trashed, and, and she has to kind of take care of him. And the other thing about Tucker Max-type character is that he has a whole crew that he runs with, and he references his crew in the book constantly. And it's like, oh, this guy was in this kind of trouble with a girl. This guy said this sort of thing, you know. And he would he always have these funny ways of sort of explaining who his different friends were. But essentially, it's like a Sex in the City group, but of guys instead of girls. You know, they, they weren't as consistent as the Sex and the City girls are. It was, it was like, here's one dude that's in two or three different stories. There's another guy that's in two or three different stories. And there's probably ten of those kind of guys. But you could condense that in and you could have where he has like a little Sex and the City crew. And there could even be some double dating or some triple dating that happens inside and that And I group. have the idea that he's like Canadian. Mm -hmm. So he like weaves in his like Canadian status a lot, which to me is funny because it's like why he's not as well known in the States as she is or as as the audience might think he is like well you know in toronto you know or in montreal like i'm kind of a big deal <laughs> um yeah and he could have like a website where people can can go in and put like applications in for to date him oh yeah yeah well and this was a great thing you had brought when we were talking earlier which i don't want to forget is that you know 
with the Tucker Max type of persona that our Robert Downey Jr. character has, you have a lot of girls appealing to him in order to do something wild and crazy with him so that they are written about in the next book or in the next blog post. And he could take Carrie Bradshaw to task and ask her about some of her characters that she talks about in her column from the series. Like, we both immediately thought of the politician who wants to pee on her. You know, that one season (laughs) where that salt and pepper, like, hot politician wants to, like, give her a golden shower and she writes about it and she breaks up with him. Like... He could actually ask her the question to her face that we've all been wanting to ask her. Don't you think that some of those guys did some of that shit because they wanted to get written about? And no one's ever asked Carrie Bradshaw that, but I think that is a valid question. And it would be really fun to put her in that position and let her answer those questions. Yeah, it'd be digging a little bit deeper into the history of the show in a way that the real fans will really find that sort of thing hilarious. Yeah, and, and rewarding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'd be like I'm being rewarded because I'm I'm so knowledgeable about the show. And you could even play clips from the show when that happened. Um, uh, you know, another characteristic that that Tucker Max has in real life that we could borrow from is that he's like real well read. He likes to read a lot. He's a smart guy, and like he could be reading all of her old articles. And kind of bringing things up. From oh her yeah, past. and and don't, can't you imagine a Robert Downey Jr. actor bringing that shit up? Well, if I do remember, <laughs> in 2000, when you you know were telling us about your friend who had the shoe guy that would give her free shoes if he could give her a foot massage. I'm just saying, like you didn't seem to think too badly of that. You know, like like let's take her to task over because even in one of the older seasons, I remember. She was dating Mr. Big, but they hadn't said I love you yet. And one of her friends who was a waiter, who was like gorgeous, and her ended up making making out one night after she had left a party upset with Mr. Big, they ended up making out. And and at the end, she had resolved in her voiceover that well, she never told Big about that because everything before I love you doesn't count. And those kind of convenient reasonings for being deceitful. And, and, and like being, you know, like cheating, you know, let's bring that back. <laughs> you know, like, I don't think that, that Carrie should tell Mr. Big about her emotional infidelity with the Robert Downey Jr. character. I think she should just learn from it, learn what she really appreciates about him and, and then keep it moving and keep them stronger than ever, because that's more realistic to just take someone and like tear them down and tell them that you had feelings for someone else and never acted on them. I mean, that's controversial, right? Like some people think you absolutely have to, some people think you really shouldn't. And they do broach that with the aid and kiss in the second movie. But I think they go the wrong way in telling him. I think let's not tell him. Let's keep it in a gray area because that's where sex and city is the strongest. You know, or her and Mr. Big could break up, you know, fix that mistake that they made in the first movie. I don't see you're saying that because you're a miss, you're an auntie mate. And <laughs> I was just talking about this to my homegirl before I came over here and I was pitching her this idea. And she was like, oh, absolutely. If Carrie feels that way about someone else, she has to break up with Mr. Big. Like, you know, you just can't do that. 
And I was like, no, dude, like that doesn't happen. She's like, see, you're not being fair because of your bias for Mr. Big. <laughs> and which I was like, okay, you're calling me out on my shit. And I like that about you. And that's true. However, I want to say, I, f- I just feel it's more realistic to say like, look, marriage is hard. You know, yes, other people are going to come into your life that maybe in a different time period could have worked for you. And you have to work your way through that. But you can stay with your spouse. You cannot cheat on your spouse maybe you have a little bit of an emotional dalliance but you can kind of find your way back to that center with your spouse that makes you stronger than ever you do not have to put them through hell you do not i think it's selfish but that's me you know i'm an asshole (laughs) (laughs) well there's there's a scene that i really disliked in sex in the city 2 where Carrie Bradshaw basically has a fight with Mr. Pig over the stupidest thing. It's like it's their anniversary uh, or something. It's not even their anniversary, but go ahead. Oh, it's not? What's the occasion? Okay, which one? Which scene are you talking about? The where she, he gives her a gift, she gives him a gift. Oh, yeah, it's their anniversary, you're right. So she gives him a gift that's like this... Vintage Rolex vintage with Rolex an inscription. With an inscription on it. That's like some quote that he probably said to her in the second season or something. And no, but it, it just it speaks to the, to the fact that they have decided untraditionally to be married together forever and not have children. Just us two. Oh, that's what it's referencing. That's to. what it's referencing. Okay. See, I, I, don't, I don't see the need to beat that over the head so hard. It's like they're two 50-year-old people. Like, what are they going to do, start having kids? Like, Well, they're not 50 years old. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she's like, I think she gets married and she's like 40, 41 so she's like 43, which is like what Miranda calls her scary age for like having kids. So she could, you know, and then, and then she meets another woman at that wedding in the first scene or the first act who right. is having a baby by surrogate. So it's kind of like giving her this saying, like, just because you're a little bit older doesn't mean that you can't have kids. You're wealthy enough that you could easily choose to have a kid despite the fact that you're a little bit older than than what is ideal. You could just have a surrogate or you could adopt. And you're still choosing not to. Oh, what is that about? Yeah, because they've always got to rub the wealth of the characters into their audience's faces. That is really disappointing that they do that. <laughs> <laughs> but, but anyway, so then he goes to give her a gift and he opens up to this armoire and, he, and there's a TV in there. And he's like, look, it's a state-of-the-art flat screen television and the look on her face is like fuck you <laughs> and then she, she even says something a few sentences later that's like well a nice piece of jewelry would have been good it's like you bitch you you just wanted a super expensive piece of jewelry that you can wear and show your friends look what mr big gave me oh it's so sickening but anyway, so she gets all butthurt, and she writes him <laughs> this mean note the next day where she says, look, I've still got my other apartment. I'm going to go live in my other apartment and just do some writing. And, you know, we had this big whoop fight yesterday, so I'm just going to go live in my other apartment. Goodbye. <laughs> and then he wakes up and calls her and she's like, hey, uh, so you're in your other apartment. She's like, yeah, I'm just going to stay here for a few days. You know, just chill out here. Basically being a total bitch, she's saying, like, oh, you gave me a TV, so I'm leaving you. I'm going to leave. Bye. I'm going to withhold myself from you. I'm going to go away. You won't As see punishment. Me. Yeah. And then she spends the whole movie reframing it to her friends and saying, like, oh, well, Mr. Big wants to take a couple of days off every week. And it's like, it's you that wanted to take the time off. You did that. That was your idea. You're the one that did it. Mr. Big was a hero because he 
called her up and invited her on a date, went outside. I do think Mr. Big is a hero. He was a hero in that scenario because even though she was being a total crazy bitch, he was like, look, and that, you know, I've been in a relationship. I know how this sort of thing goes. You (laughs) got to do that sort of thing sometimes. Totally relationship realistic. I like that part of it. But what I didn't like is how when in the in in order to patch things up, Mr. Big says like maybe we should do that all the time, you know, where you take a few days, go live in your other apartment, and I come pick you up and we go on a nice date. Like it's really nice. It's a really nice thing. It gives us a little bit of space. And then she turns it on it on its head as if he was the one that suggested that when it was her that insisted that she was leaving and that this is what she needed. He's just trying to give her what she needs, but consistently. And the point that you were making to me was that if she just would have tried it, instead of talking so much shit about it, instead of getting so upset about it and just tried it, she probably would have loved it. Or or, or it wouldn't have worked. You know, I feel like she would have loved it. Or, like, I mean, personally, I don't think that I would need two days off a week from my relationship that I've been in for many years. But I think oh, uh, two days off... Maybe once a month might be nice. Well, you know? like an evening off once a week would be nice. Would I be mean, nice, yeah. Maybe two weeks, two days. Two days every is, is a bit much. Is a bit much, yeah. But like, let them kind of play that out. Let them see how I, they actually feel in it, and then I think they would have just sort of worked out naturally to what they enjoy. And like, like he says, we're two adults without children. We have the luxury to design our lives. I, I, I like that idea. I like playing with the notions of what is traditional. Uh, and what is expected and what might be easier. Because I thought they made a really compelling case. If they didn't, it would be kind of boring. It would be like, this person is a clear villain, this person is a clear hero. You know, but that's not what they did. They they made a really compelling case, and you really had to grapple with who was right and who was wrong. Maybe Robert Downey Jr. could go after Samantha, but she could, like, turn him down because she's going through this whole new sort of thing where she's not having as high of a sex drive. Maybe that could be part of her arc. Well, that would be interesting because it would it would kind of uh, go back to Sex and the City. It was gonna be a callback to the season opener where that's what ha- she kind of goes after Mr. Big and he turns her down because like she's sort of more Mr. Big speed. He's interested in like these hot fly by night girls, which is sort of samantha's like milieu you know but he gets kind of tangled up in this like quirky carrie bradshaw like writer smart super funny sexy but in like a weird way you know like kind of trapped that he just like kind of can't get out of um that would be interesting to to go back to that and then she could have like a real like confrontational moment with samantha which would be really deep and satisfying for the audience yeah so I, I put that one in the maybe category. I like it. Okay, but um, I think that's pretty much all we had to say. Me too. That's good. I'm good. All right, so that's Sex in the City Part 2. I hope they make the uh, script available for people to read online. Matt thinks that the battle's not over, that maybe six months from now they actually will start production on a third one, that this is just they're trying to leverage Kim Cattrall into her rightful place of submission. I don't know. I don't know if we're ever going to see it, but... Well, I felt like... Kim Cattrall must not have been happy with the script from the second movie. And to me, the third movie? The second movie. Oh, yeah. And to me, it seemed like she was kind of phoning her performance in, like almost making fun of herself playing the character, like hoping the director would call cut and say, like, you know, is that really how you're going to play the scene? 
and no one ever did. Like it had that kind of <laughs> wow. vibe. Wow. Yeah. It had that kind of vibe to yeah, it yeah, to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. It's like it was a protest of how terrible her character was written because she's great. I've seen her acting in tons of stuff. I've seen her in Sex and the City. She's I've, I've, I've watched both seasons of Sensitive Skin, her new show on Netflix, which is phenomenal. You should all watch it. Mm. Is, is she like a sexual character in that one too? No. Oh, thank God. I She's just a normal person. I would love to see that. Yeah, it's I great. I haven't seen that. But yeah, I felt like she was kind of phoning it in, and then she was probably pissed when they rapped, and no one ever called cut on her. And so when she read the script for this one, it was probably the same crap. So I think what you need to do is go in there and give that character a pass, and give her uh, give pass give the script a pass, and touch up on that character, make her a little bit more interesting, a little bit more dynamic. And, you know, maybe get Kim Cattrall's feedback on what she'd like to have happen with that character. You yeah. Know? And then give the girls some back end, you know, mm-hmm. let them make a little bit of bank off this. <laughs> All right, this has been Sequelitis. Thank you so much for listening. See you guys next time.